Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here. Monday of week two of the regular season for West Virginia football. Supposed to be looking ahead to the Duquesne Dukes. We'll talk about another team for Pennsylvania instead because Chris Anderson, not sure anybody really cares about this game Saturday very much unless they have a ticket. And even then it might be kind of negligible. At least for today, most people will be more attuned to what happens Saturday night in Happy Valley. And we are here to do what we can, um, take some questions, provide some answers. Where sometimes we might not have any things that you were telling me and people had informed me about. I wasn't even aware. And I was there in the press box, swaying back and forth with 110,000 people and did not catch this or that. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it yet. Hope to get to that. But we'll do our best to try to answer questions because that's what we do on Mondays during the regular season. That is what we do. And Mondays are going to be super busy, but that's why we're here. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to discuss. And I know the coaching staff is going to jump in and try to move forward to Duquesne uh, later this afternoon. But right now, we, we we got to talk a little bit more about this Penn State game. We do that. Yeah. Late night, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Some people catch the podcast. Some people sleep on the game, wake up, and move on. And then some people still have that interest. and Maybe they don't have the time or the interest to go over the podcast again. So what do we do? We come back with another podcast and we solicit questions on the VIP side of the message board, earsports.com. Go now, half off the subscription price. Special offer ends tomorrow. So a limited time offer here. We do things like this regularly. We do a lot of other stuff to cover this team, and it has us scratching our head. It has us asking questions, and as we get to here, has us answering questions because a lot of people watch, were curious, want to know what was up Saturday night, and now what do we think of the Mountaineers moving forward? Let's not belabor the point anymore, Chris. What do you say? You open the mailbox and retrieve us a couple of questions. Sounds good. I will start with kind of a, a general question. We'll mash up a few of them, but essentially – Multiple people asked, after seeing WVU in action, do you change your perspective of this Mountaineer football team based off of what you saw on Saturday night? How about this? Having watched other teams, have I changed my perspective of West Virginia? I well, uh, you, you're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. That's the next question. Okay. Because um, that's that's kind of hard for me to get past right now. Um, it does not. I, I just don't have eight-win hopes for this team, and I thought seven might be a stretch. I kind of I, – I, my, my, I, I saw them getting six. I saw them being six and six, and it was going to be close on some things just by the way I kind of played things out and, and mess with point spreads and all that stuff, and I figured that was going to be about it. Um. I figured there was about like a three touchdown difference between Penn State and West Virginia if things went according to plan. And I think Penn State maybe wanted to be sharper and West Virginia certainly wanted to score more than 15 points, but it still ended up in that, that spot that most people predicted the, the over under the point spread was right about what was um prognosticated too. So um, my concerns that I had were there, the things that I thought could be better based on additions or just development. I think some of those showed up and came through on TV or on the field. But I don't think that it's going to make me say, yeah, I got that right. So, therefore, everything is automatically going to co- according to plan the rest of the way. And I also can't say this team stinks and they're not going to win three games because I didn't think they were that bad. They were overmatched and outmanned and just, like, not the best team on the field, which that's going to happen to a lot of teams when you're playing the number seven team in the country. 
still think they're going to be right around a 500 team and, and fighting for bowl eligibility late. But as we'll probably get to, I, I think that you could look around and say this this may be not as bad as how it looked Saturday night moving forward. I'm with you. I think this game went how they got there. A couple little things were different than maybe I expected, but we sat on this podcast and discussed it, and I, I predicted here and on our Penn State uh, sites podcast something along the lines of like 31-13 that I thought West Virginia might be able to break one play, get one touchdown in that might you know, kind of silence the crowd a little bit and get them a little bit worried early, but that the offense wouldn't be efficient enough and essentially, eventually defense would falter and Penn State would pull away. And that's almost exactly what happened. So I, my view of this West Virginia team has not changed that much because you know, you're like, oh, so you thought their offense, or, you know, their offense was going to stink and secondary was going to be like, no, like I also think Penn State is good, very good. They are the Ro- defending Rose Bowl champions. They are number seven team in the country. And a lot has to go right to kind of beat those teams. And I think Penn State has a little more talent on their team. And it showed. And so I don't think um, this changes my view of West Virginia much at all. I'm right there with you. I put my game-by-game predictions, broke it down this game, and said West Virginia would go 6-6. Six and six. And so I'm still there. Uh, maybe a tweak here or two because of the second part. Of this question, Mike, you ready for it now? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even pronounce what this username is. Uh, but after seeing WVU and the rest of the Big Twelve Week One, did your win loss predictions go up or down? So here you go, Mike. <laughs> Texas Tech, TCU. Um, who else? Uh, BYU looked terrible. And they won, but they looked terrible against Sam Houston State. Um. Who else had a bad week? Baylor. Ah, uh, yes. Baylor. So um, Baylor's the team that I could not get my head around, whether that was West Virginia's sixth win, sixth loss, whatever. Is that the difference between six and six and seven and five? That's the one that I was really puzzled about because just, again, the way that I look at things and the value I give stuff where I come up with like kind of a ranking on, on who's better by how much, it's pretty close. Um, I just not quite a believer in the quarterback and they made a lot of changes there. I'm not sure that it was so smooth in the beginning, but I'm also not sure they can't get back to where they want to go. Um, the, the team's turned over a lot in the last couple of years. So it's, it's not, I know the one in the conference two seasons ago, but I don't think that automatically played forward, but that's the one team that had my attention before the season and looked pretty bad yesterday, um, especially on defenses where, which is what they tried to fix in the off season. Um, it makes me think, um, I, I just don't know that, all of those things that didn't look great are going to naturally go West Virginia's way because I don't think West Virginia looked surprising in any form or fashion. We talked about they looked like what they looked like and what we thought they were going to look like. So if we're having this conversation about a Baylor, a BYU, a Texas Tech, a TCU, and how they might have surprised us a little bit or maybe like they, they underperformed relative to expectations, the conversation about West Virginia is, well, the Mountaineers kind of are who we thought they were. So what does that say about them? Does that make them better than those four teams? It doesn't. Um, I did not have them going um, 4-0 or 0-4 against them. I, I think they can beat BYU at home, but the Baylor game was the one that really made me think. Um, but now I think what it does make me think is that, man, September was important before. It's even more important now. And whether it's fair or not, the narrative is going to be Neil Brown's 0-4 against Texas Tech, and this team just lost at Wyoming when it had a 17-point lead. Um, 
West Virginia needs to win a road game in the Big 12 early in the schedule so it can actually have some stakes as the season goes along. You're not just cleaning up on kind of empty road games in late November, as has been the pattern before. So, hey, win one on the road early on. Why not a TCU, a team that's had a big roster overhaul when you consider the the quantity of talent that they lost and also just lost to a, like a, a vagabond team? That is exciting. It has some high-level talent, but just – for, for Colorado to do what it did yesterday, is, or excuse me, on Saturday, is kind of remarkable. When you think about like 80 transfers, that's crazy. And to lose that game is really wild. But I think you see that TCU has some quarterback on offensive issues and inefficiencies that they just don't feel very comfortable with right now. Um, I think that makes September even more important for the program for Neil Brown. Like We knew it was going to be a grind. But now those games maybe take on some more value because those opponents look vulnerable and the wins look more gettable right now. Although I'm going to say it again. I don't think West Virginia has done anything to make you say, yeah, they should win those games now. I don't think they're there. I'm not sure they even get there before the kickoff of those games. But that's going to be the narrative that people craft, I'm sure. So before the season, I said, if you if Vegas were to set the line for every game for the entire year for the season for West Virginia, that you would have three games one game where West Virginia was a definitive like three touchdown favorite or more, and that was Duquesne. And then three games where West Virginia would be more than a touchdown underdog at Penn State, at TCU, and at Oklahoma. Um, it still might be a, a eight or more point underdog at TCU. Um, partly, I mean, partly because that's on the road. And like you said, like West Virginia didn't prove anything either in Week One. But everything else, I'm imagining, would be somewhere in that kind of touchdown or less range one way or the other. So it's a lot of kind of coin flip games here where West Virginia can win. So I don't know if it's changed my perspective that much. Like, I mean, maybe you can tweak it a half a game more because I did think Texas Tech would be good, like not world beater good, but fringe top 25 good. Um, Oklahoma looked, I mean, again, overmatched opponent but they, they didn't even break a sweat yeah. that was impressive but let me give you a quick true or false mike west virginia must leave houston with at least or the next five games duquesne pitt texas tech at tcu at houston west virginia must go three and two or better or what like what's what's the what's the consequence? Like firing the coach because they're not going to do that in the season. I don't. Think nah, it, I don't want to go so far as fire the coach because I think I think the, the path I laid out for a, a midseason firing is is like a lot worse than say two and three in the next five. It, it's it's something drastically bad. Yeah. But, um, for for bowl eligibility. Yeah, let's go there. So you have to you have so. to be three and three at the halfway point. I don't. I, I think you could be two and four and get four in the back end. I think you can. It's not ideal at all. But like that's been the pattern again. Like like that's been the pattern. They've done that before. They've gone two and four and four and two and they've they've rallied a couple of times late in the season to get to five wins or six wins. It's not it's not pretty and, and, and desirable, but like I just look at it and like the second half of that schedule is just easier than I thought that it was gonna be. Um you're looking at like the Cincinnati Houston BYU games. Um that's that's gonna be three winnable games or I think. I don't think there's any stretch of the imagination, especially when two of them are at home. So um that's that's doable, I think. So I would not I wouldn't write it off, but the problem is, and this is where things get that uh, your question kind of evolves a little bit. Can you get four wins in the back end if you are not good enough 
to to win three of those games that we're talking about. Because really, it's just two. Like the Duke game one, put that in the bank. So can they get two out of the Pitt, Texas Tech, TCU, Houston? And if there's not two there, then how are they going to find four somewhere else, right? That's a good question there. I think it can happen. I just don't know that it it will or that anybody should assume that it that can or will happen. So really good question. Um, the, the answer is, for me, is that they can, but they would help themselves a whole lot. Obviously, they got half of the bowl eligibility done in the upcoming stretch. Next question comes from Clarence Over. Was there anything noticeably different about the offensive game plan? With the supposed new approach in the running game, nothing looked any different than what we've seen from Neil Brown thus far. Mike, well, do you agree with that statement? Or if not, what was different? At large, yeah. I, I'm sure that we can get under the hood, or if you if you shared a snapple with Neil Brown and watch a film, he would tell you some things that, that are different. They might have locked some things up in the offensive line different, you know, changed blocking, changed you know, just assignments or, or how they gap stuff might've done that. That's very minute stuff that to the, to the eye is not going to jump out. And that's what the question is here. Like, wait a minute, new offense. And the concept of new offense is, is massageable for sure. Cause some people think, all right, they're going to do something new, but it's still going to be that air raid offense. They're just going to call the plays that draw upon the strengths of the offense more. And, and maybe, maybe put some wrinkles in to do that. But um, I, I wonder I wonder if they felt good enough running some of the quote unquote new stuff, whether that's just like minor things or packages, something from, like I said, a minute thing to something more obvious. I wonder if they felt good doing that game one against the defense. But I also wonder, man, if not from, you know, six weeks of the summer and six weeks of preseason, four weeks preseason, if not for like those 10 weeks, when are you going to do it? Like if you're not ready, when are you going to do it? Because you're going to bust it out against Duquesne? No, because then you're ruining the surprise you might get against Pitt. So I think that that might be a bit of a fallacy that they just didn't use their good stuff against Pitt because if you didn't have it after all that runway to the regular season, you might not have it. So there there certainly is some question there. But I think that they were going to run Neil Brown's offense. They were just going to actually hand the ball off more. Did they do any of that with some ingenuity and creativity? Very rarely. Very rarely. Like you did not see a lot of formationing, uh, shifting and things like that. Um, Option stuff. You know, zone stuff, very, very limited, I thought. Um, now, could they get outside? I don't know. Look, if they wanted to go north and south against that defense, that's fine. Inside zone, eh, they could be good at that, even though their guard play wasn't great, especially in the run. But anything with, like, jet action that was supposed to, like, get the ball in the hands of playmakers, not really. Um, the screens are the screens. You've seen them a lot. They they rarely ever pop because of, like, you know, you don't have maybe potent receivers or great pass pass blockers outside. Um so, yeah, that's it's hard to give that an affirmative answer. Like, what looked different? Very little. I don't think it was going to look different. But never saw two backs, right? Didn't see tight ends doing crazy things. And then just look up like what Penn State did. Um, yeah, they had three running backs in the backfield sometimes. They had two tight ends in a diamond formation. They shifted that diamond formation outside to throw screens. And those are just small things, anecdotal things about, you know, how you can turn one little idea into two or three. And there just wasn't any of that at West Virginia. And I'm not sure that they're advanced enough or talented enough offensively or with their game plan to just go out there and line up and be better at it. They're going to need some window dressing and some side of hand to do that. And I think that part, you can say, man, that was kind of disappointing. Like, where was the creativity to liberate this offense? I don't think that really existed in the quantity that they wanted or needed. Yeah, I uh, didn't see much different. Like you said, the, the 12 personnel, I did not. I mean, I think I remember like one play where they tried to run like almost like a triple option type thing. That got blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
I'm trying to think about what the exact quote was from Neil Brown, but there was a point during fall camp where he was asked about the offense and changes and stuff. And he said, we're not changing the offense. Like It's going to be the same offense. And I think that quote, I remember that, you know, that quote was part of the story and it got put in it and fans lost it. And you're right. Like there were, there were, he, I'm sure he could find some tweaks and things like that. Like you said, blocking scheme, if he sat down and watched the film. But overall, from far away and you're watching it, it looked it looked the same. It looked like it had the same problems that this offense has had the last few years. It just looked like there was a quarterback who could make a little bit of something happen with his feet. And other than that, it was the same offense, which is not a good thing and brings us to our next question. From Duffy95, how can we be in year five and our offense still does not have an identity? First off, is it true or false that there is no identity? Second off, how can you be at this point and not have one if there is none? Hmm. That's that's a good question. Identity is another one of those variables that you could you could it, it exists in extremes. Um, their identity is that they're they're kind of a loose construct of an air raid offense that's going to run the ball more out of it. Um, this is. I'd be really curious to kind of sit down and, and like, if you could do this in some forensic way, but like that 2016 season where they went 10 and two and they ran the ball like crazy. If you overlap that with this season here, what it's going to look like, I wonder how similar the ideas and the execution would be, because that was a team that, that could really run the ball, um, had good quarterback play, but like they had a, they had a mobile quarterback who could run and they did some stuff out of the air raid out of Holgerson's air raid. Um, remember he was evicted from the club because they ran the ball so much and so well. And I wonder if this could be like that because that was a different offense, even though it was still Dana's air raid offense. And if you look at like what happened in Oklahoma state, when, when Dana went to Oklahoma state, all of a sudden Gundy's offense became Dana's offense. And then since Holgerson's left, they have brought in offensive coordinators and said, listen, you're going to just carry the clipboard and do what we were doing. You could put your twist on it, but their progression of quarter of, of offensive coordinators have pretty much done air raid stuff and they've run the ball pretty well with like not all world running backs. If some guys get to the NFL for sure, but because that offense did it like the offense did it for them. So there, there exists a way to do that, but is this a running air raid offense? No. And is it an air raid offense that lights you up with quarterback and receivers? It has not been. So what do we have here? Like, it's it's not it's not like fraudulent, but it's like a bit of a counterfeit air raid, which is not I'm not saying that the identity is counterfeit air raid. Don't don't please don't do that. <laughs> but it's just not this or that. And yeah, you like to be in your lane right now. Now, if they had had the properly calibrated of JT Daniels for one year that got through 12 games and they went seven and five or eight and four, who knows, got to the 10 wins. Right. And then he came back again this year. The offense is much more advanced, just much more advanced year two with him. Uh, some some maybe upgrades in the in the receiver position. I think maybe some guys don't go pro because Daniels was good in 2022. Again, I'm projecting here, but that didn't happen. But if he was good in 22 and he came back, all of a sudden maybe this offense is a little bit more identifiable. But right now, yeah, you just kind of have in between the poles of what this offense is, and it's not balanced, right? So that's the other part about this. It's not a passing offense like a narrator's usually. It's not really a, a prolific run offense based on one game. I know that, but. And it's not a balanced offense right now. So what do we have? Don't know. The quarterback question, I just I can't answer. Um, it's a failing. It's a failing. And they tried. 
like his first move was to get Austin Kendall. His second move was to get Jared Dagey. Um, and they primed Jared Dagey to be the quarterback because they thought they had a couple of years of them. And they did. It didn't work. They never pulled the trigger on replacing Dagey. Um, they never put in green. They went out and they got JT Daniels. That didn't work. And it, I, I felt like I was taking the crazy pills, but I bringing it up and people look at me like, what are you talking about? Why would they go get a quarterback from the portal? I don't know. Maybe because anyone. I wonder how much of a storyline that'll become as the season goes along. If it is, that's not a good thing for Brown and Green and Marchio. Uh, if it's not, then yeah, then maybe I need to keep taking the crazy pills. But that is something I would keep an eye on for sure. I mean, you, you and I have been saying every every year when we talk about portal needs, quarterbacks on there. No matter no matter what your quarterback situation is, quarterbacks on there has to be. Like, I mean, unless you're literally returning Heisman candidate with multiple years of eligibility remaining, quarterback needs to be on your transfer need list. Period. End of story. Back to the question about the identity. We're in year five. You're right. Like, how do you not have an identity in year five? And I think part of the answer you you you, you touched on it there. New quarterback almost every year, varying quarterbacks, different styles, different different types of guys, bringing them in from different schools all over the country. But also, four different offensive coordinators in five years. Bingo. With multiple different play callers and some confusion about who's actually calling plays. Like, you can't build an identity within a couple games like you have to have some sort of consistency and, and kind of pick a lane and go with it and at no point has that happened with this offense whether it's it's the quarterback decisions the offensive coordinator decisions or who is even calling plays on those decisions you can't build an identity out of just kind of indecision like the mask singer is a cool concept it could be a fun show but sooner or later, you look on your watch like, okay, okay, who is it? Sooner or later, you have to take the mask off and figure out who you are. That's the point of the program, right? And sooner or later, you have to show the college football establishment who you are. That's the point. And if you don't get there, that's a problem. Next question. GD full. Again, related to this, we're, we're kind of stuck on offense right now, but... That's where most of the questions came from. Uh, bottom line, is the passing game actually as bad as it looked last night? What, what, what's your thoughts, hopes moving forward, Mike? Well, I mean, last night it was as bad as it looked, for sure. Now, it's going to be better against Duquesne. I don't think that Pitt's going to have the the capability in the back end. Although they'll be well coached, for sure, and they'll have players back there. They'll be a good secondary, but um, I don't think the Texas Tech secondary is going to be great. I don't know the TCU secondary is going to be great based on what I saw in the first week, but also what I suspected was true. I looked at depth charts and what they lost and what they returned. So there's a chance for it to grow and get better, but it also has to. Um, if you're missing open receivers, if you won't throw in the middle of the field, if instead of stepping up in the pocket to really just, you know, I mean, to to sometimes just bite down in your mouthpiece and risk a hit because you got to throw one across the middle, then you're if you're rolling out and you're adding time to the play, you're kind of throwing the whole time in the offense up. Just things like that. Everybody understands that when they watch it. I don't want to ramble. It's got to get better. It does, but it can. But they're going to have to make it work with him. They're going to have to figure out, okay, you can't do A, B, and C. We're going to have to find out um, L, M, and N. Not X, Y, Z, right? Because that's the other end of it. You don't want to get too far away from the point. 
So if you can't do A, B, and C, get LMN. Find a way to be like a little bit closer to where you want to be and not the opposite. That exists with green. You just got to find it. So if he's checking down or throwing quick stuff, if the screen game works, if he can hit the tight end, you know, on the hashes, that's fine. But he's also going to have to exist up the rail 20, 30 yards down the field. He's going to have to throw it in between the hashes in the middle because defense will, will scheme around you. They'll take away the stuff that you're going to settle for because they'll make it. So it's going to have to be better. The the troublesome thing, and I, I went over this, is that I really wonder about how athletic and how fast the, the receivers are. And I really wonder, you know, where was Rodney Gallagher and where can he be and how quickly can he get there? And then Jay Sean Pope, Noah Massey, and EJ Horton didn't play. That's three transfers. Um, Horton was injured, street clothes. Uh, Massey was not even on the dress list, so he might be injured. Don't know. They don't tell us these things. Poke, I believe, travel just didn't play. You, you overhauled receiver and you went out and you got guys because you thought you needed to or you had to, and three of them didn't play. And a freshman played one snap, maybe. We're not even sure about that. Um, that's that's tough. Like it, that's got to get better. But we'll have the answer here soon. And if they didn't hit on the transfers, that's going to underscore the answer. If their receivers aren't contributing or dressing or playing or scoring or getting passes then this offense is going to have a hard time evolving and the pass game is going to be as bad as it looked. Dude, this was just a, a kind of a combination of a lot of negatives here. Uh, some some pretty poor receiver play and like not, not being able to get open. I mean, and then it's sometimes when they did get open, Green missed them on the throws. And then Penn State knew that passing game was struggling and they just they just brought guys a lot of guys it was almost like a, like run blitz kind of stuff like they're filling gaps and coming in if they see it's a pass then they're continuing their pursuit of the quarterback and it it caused some issues for West Virginia no no doubt about it so I think this was not a great matchup period um not a great matchup against their secondary either because we talked about it on the pregame like they they lost a essentially a first round pick he was pick number 32 uh the dolphins had to forfeit their pick so there should normally be 32 picks in the first round but he was first to the second um and then just kind of still had guys all around the secondary that are likely to be in the nfl one day and and johnny dixon was somebody you brought up you know i mentioned kalen king and you were like hey johnny dixon's pretty darn good too and then their safeties played well so it was it was a tough tough matchup and i'm not sure what to take from it as far as the passing game goes. Um, and I'm not sure we're going to figure anything out, you know, this week either against Duquesne. I think maybe you get to uh, Pitt or Texas Tech or even TCU before you try to figure something out. And then again, TCU, but gave up four 100-yard receivers in one game. So maybe... 500-yard passer. Yeah, so maybe that's the guy they need. That's the team they should have opened up the season against. But yep. uh, rough go for that offense. And I'm, I'm not completely out on the passing game, but it didn't look great. Not great at all. Um, let's go to the other side of the ball. Let's start with a, a pretty, what should be a straightforward one, but is obviously not. From VT Hater, what is going on with spells? Speaking of cornerback, Jacoby spells. Mike, do you want to recap our discussion and, and trying to figure out what's going on here? Well, I know we, he was on the dress list and I saw him. I didn't see him for like a large part of the game, but they were only, they were, they started there too and they brought in two and like, they they kind of hinted they were only going to play four, and I think a lot of people thought maybe Malachi Ruffin would be the fifth one out. They talked up spells and said he'd been good. So you figure, man, is he going to start? We kind of thought Bishop would. 
And then, all right, they brought in Miller. I thought Miller would start, but no, they brought in um, Andrew Wilson Lamp, who, you know, maybe had a good camp, didn't have a great game, but they played those two most of the game. I think Ruffin and Montre Miller got maybe like between between them, like individually 12 or 15 snaps apiece. And I just kind of thought that that's the way it was going. That wasn't a fast-paced game. They were not great, but they weren't getting gassed at cornerback. Um, didn't think that they had to like change things up very well. So four seemed fine, two starters, two backups, and it just seemed like spells is the odd man out. But I thought he played. In fact, when I was on my way down to the field, his name was called out for making a tackle. Um, I want to say it was on the drive right after the onside kick. I believe that's when I went down to the field. And I was with somebody from WBU, and the person said, all right, got to put spells in the participation report. Uh, we went over like that that sequence. He doesn't make a tackle, so he might have been misannounced, and he's not in the participation report. Could simply be that he didn't play. Could be that he was injured. Um, th- th- look, there's a lot of guys who didn't dress, didn't travel, or just did travel, didn't dress, or did travel, did dress, and didn't play. We don't know. We'll have to follow up on that. But, you know, Spells, Horton, Poke, guys like that, like what happened, what's the prognosis? Um that's just the preseason's petty coaches don't like to tell stuff and they're going to, they're going to establish themselves early on. And like, they're going to kind of dare you to ask questions about injuries and they're going to say, well, we're not doing it because they're not doing it. And that's kind of the way it goes. But if, if that's a guy who's not playing because whatever reason, not related to health, let's say um, that's a concern because he's certainly talented and they had high hopes for him as a sophomore. They were, they were talking him up. Not that long ago, saying that he'd really had a good camp and he was making splashy plays. To go from five to four and have no backups beyond the backups, you really kind of like limit the competition there. And and this is going to be a rolling thing where like not one of those four or five is good enough to just take that spot and be the guy all year. You're going to have to each other have to have people pushing each other. But again, if your position struggle and your depth isn't good enough to push the positions, if you have problems on the field and the problem is that your problems are on the field, that's a failing. And Every time you lose somebody who can solve that problem, it becomes a little bit more uh, exaggerated. I'm looking here. You're right. Four, four cornerbacks played, according to Pro Football Focus. And again, the participation chart checked it. Spells is not on there. Uh, only four corners played. And yeah, Bishop and where are we going? Where was that? Uh, and Wilson Lamp, 60 and 46 snaps. Uh, Ruffin. And Miller, 12 snaps a piece. So yep. it kind of seems like a pretty clear delineation of, of who the starters are. And unless Spells was injured, he might be the fifth man. Um, we won't know. And and this afternoon, uh, I get to talk to coaches and, and players and head coaches and coordinators, and maybe we'll get answers there. But until then, we don't know. I, I, got, a, I got a related question for you, Mike. Hmm? Because I believe I already know the answer, but you've been doing this even longer than I have. First time, no depth chart ever. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. like, I was, I was going to say it. I mean, you, you, because it used to be normal to just release the depth chart, and then I remember, you know, a few years ago, it was kind of like not really avoided, but just kind of like ruining with the game notes on Monday and it was released on Monday, but it was kind of with that. Hey, like that's just game notes. Don't, you know, it's not the end all be all. And then I believe it was last year's season opener against Pitt where it did not come out with the game notes, but then came the next morning, I believe 
so that Neil Brown could talk about it with his Tuesday uh, Tuesday press conference. This time, nothing. Not, not a hint of any depth chart at any point for the game. That's Yeah, that's a lot. I just wanted to check because I can't remember it. It, it. This is literally the first time I can remember it never happening. It's a lot of things. I don't, I don't know today. Like, I'm not going to – It's you can you can editorialize me all you want. You can fill in the blanks, put words in my mouth. It's probably going to be pretty accurate about what you think I think about it. But, like, if you sat down the coaching staffs for West Virginia and said, can you give me the two deep for Penn State's offense and defense, it would have been pretty darn accurate. And, and the other way around, too. I, I don't know what the – I don't know what it is, but I just I just – I think we could probably assume that these probably aren't the friendliest coaching staffs. They go against each other a bunch in recruiting. And they're on the field back to back years. Um, there's probably some sort of a, a dynamic in the relationship there between those two. And, and like, if one's not going to put the depth chart out because it doesn't want to or doesn't have to, the other one's going to kind of do the the exact same. Um, it, it's kind of a kind of a disservice to a lot of people, but they really don't care. And what was the accuracy? I think on the two deep. You know, I think I had Hubbard, and you, you like, told me the... you told me Yates. Yeah, I think we were like twenty-one to twenty-two, mm-hmm. something like that. And like, like did, I'm sure did... Penn State has even better information. Yeah, well, because they were at the practices and West Virginia opened the doors, right? Ridiculous. So, like, wh- where did Neil Brown go? Oh man, they got us. Didn't see that guy coming. Didn't think he'd be. I didn't. We didn't have him in the two deep. Jeesh. And like, where did where did Manny Diaz go? Oh man. Brandon Yates, huh? Never saw that coming. Like, what are we doing? Right? It's just... And I, I checked the Penn State one too. The projections from our Penn State side, I'm pretty. They were twenty of twenty two, twenty one of twenty two, something like that as well. So, and, and I, the backup started, or like the, they just got the wrong or, which again, that happens. Like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a mystery. There was no no surprises. Congratulations, everybody! Congratulations, you, you did it! Hooray! Oh goodness. Um. All right, I'm looking back through a lot, a lot of questions about these two back sets. A lot of people upset about, you know, not seeing two back sets. I think you needed two tight ends in the field as often as you could, um, just to to block it a little better. Whether that was Nick Malone playing tight end or, or you know, Cole Taylor and Traylon Davis playing tight end, but you take a tight end off the field and you put a running back back there, you, you move the eyes closer to the backfield and you make it a little bit harder run block. I, I would think that's probably it. Um, but I'll also allow like you, you really kind of have to listen to these people talk and forget like half of it in the preseason because how much of it's going to come true. So that could be, I mean, look, if they're, if they're hiding their depth charts, who knows like what they're feeding the other side to get them ready for something that might not exist too. So, um, you know, Hey, conceptually, it sounds awesome. Realistically, you might not see it. Don't want to tell you there. Like it, it, it makes a lot of sense when you talk about it and you have them kind of rubbing their hands together, talking about how cool it'd be to have a, you know, 20 personnel or whatever, 21 personnel, but didn't follow through and it could be personnel, but could just be like, you know, sleight of hand by the uh, manipulators of the information too. I got one more one minute question for you. I hate this question, but two people asked it and they got me thinking about it. Again, I hate this question. I have to. Replay Penn State game with Green as the Penn State quarterback and Alar as WV's QB. Would the score be the same? Yeah, were you blown away by Penn State's position talent or skill position talent? Yeah, I mean, I knew Lambert was good. Lambert Smith, I think he goes by now. Um, but in the running backs, I think West Virginia did a nice job bottling them up. And, you know, they got guys who were very highly rated as recruits and such. So, like, it didn't surprise me that they could do it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know if the whole game's flipping if you swap the QBs. No, probably not, because you still have the defense in blue, and probably going to give Aller trouble. So that's interesting. It's a really cool question, but you're you're asking. I, hmm. I, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think that Aller lifts up the receiver play a little bit. I think it connects on some of the throws and and maybe makes some of the throws. Not not actually like completes the passes, but triggers it where Green ran a little bit and. I think that just getting the ball in play sometimes is really good. Like how many times did Aller hit a receiver on a crossing route or a post or a slant or something like that? And then lots of yards after the catch. That's good. But so like sometimes just putting the ball in play is a big deal. And Aller seems to excel at that. And even when he got the ball out of his hands, when he was under pressure, that, that still is better than a sack, obviously an incomplete sack an incomplete pass is fine. But like he put the ball in play, which is really good. And at one point he was sitting on 20 completions and 300 yards. That's really good. And just that last touchdown pass that wasn't a long pass you know but he put the ball in play and the guy made some plays and, and got some blocks and West Virginia looked a little bit indifferent defensively at the end of the day so but the ball was in play and Green that's not his strength right now but sometimes he is the ball in play where he moves around and runs so I don't know that he could operate the Penn State offense but I also don't know that like Aller was so um was so within he wasn't coloring in the lines like he was out of the pocket sometimes and Sometimes he just got rid of the ball and helped himself. So that's good. Uh, he was like a middle of the pack quarterback in preseason Big Ten quarterback rankings. I saw. I, I really wonder if he's up, you know, in the top two or three by the end of the season here with his stats and his performance. Because uh, I don't understand his quarterback question at Ohio State or Michigan, but like those are teams are probably going to run the ball or get by with okay quarterback play. But um, the same may be true of Penn State because they're running backs, but he looks like a difference maker at that position. And I think he'd have a really hard time saying that Green is, you know, a top tier quarterback in the Big Twelve right now, but got a lot of time to grow into it as well. Yeah, I think you know, again, before the game, we said, hey, he's a very highly rated quarterback, a lot of potential, but he hasn't done it yet. He looked excellent on Saturday night, very, very, very good. So he's fulfilled that potential for one game so far and has a pretty high ceiling. But um, you know, West Virginia can't kind of. Dwell on that too much because they're going to face some uh, some good quarterbacks, especially later in the season. So they need to uh, shore that up and try not to make everybody look like Drew Aller. Well, high ceiling on the website today. Mondays are going to be huge. It starts. Well, I shouldn't say it starts, but it gets rolling, I guess, a little bit further now with our Q&A podcast. We'll have text from game day. We'll have the week one answers that need week two questions. Neil Brown coordinators, players at a news conference today as we look back a little bit at Penn State, probably a lot because no one really wants to look forward to Duquesne, but plenty going on and plenty of incentive, as I said, to sign up 50% off the subscription price. Chris, content with this first week? Excited for the second? Let's keep it moving. Right toward the finish until next time. I am Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.